because I got to get some. We got to get some context going before I, I'm going to lose some of you just from the the passage of the title of the, of the sermon being church discipline is already like whoa what I don't, what's going on here. So I want to give you some context. So Paul has been addressing this local body, uh, the church at Corinth, and he's been calling them out and their leaders about the posture toward leadership because they've been more concerned about platforming their leaders and, and those leaders getting this, this, this uh, status bump and you know, this uh, followers um, you know, sort of thing. This, this my team, and I've got this many followers on, on you know, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and th- that, many, you know, like that sort of deal. Um, and rather than shepherding people, they've been trying to use people and use the opportunity of the church to get their own fame and popularity. And so Paul has been calling them out and saying that that is absolutely emphatically a misuse of what God has put in place as the leadership of the church. And in fact, you should be coming as fathers, not as just a patron hoping to, to get some followers. And Paul says, Here's, here's, here's one of the ways you're going to know the heart of a pastor, uh, if he's truly a shepherd or if he's just trying to use you as his people to, to get you know, his own ego stroked or whatever. Is he willing to have hard conversations? We talked about that last week. And Paul says, because I'm a father, I'm willing to call out hard conversations. And so we see this in our world today. We see this where there's, there's, a lot, there's some celebrity pastors. There's some, not all, not all megachurch pastors are like this, but there's some that they get this huge platform and they get called onto a news channel, right? They get, they get interviewed by, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, Larry King or whoever. And, and they, they've been asked questions that are difficult questions about hell, Right and and whether that is real and and how would a loving God send someone there? They get asked hard questions about um, is Jesus really the only way to God and into heaven? Right? They get asked questions about the exclusivity of Christianity. They get asked hard questions about sexuality. Does God really have a, a position on how people should operate in their sexuality and in their gender? And, and when they're asked these questions, a lot of times you'll see them start to wiggle and, and squirm, and they don't want to give a firm answer, and they sort of you know. Uh, weave in and out of it, and they won't own up to the truth and, and boldly declare what God has said because they're worried about getting followers. They're worried about get, making money off of people and not shepherding people. And Paul says, that is not how the church of God is supposed to be. And, and, and there is, and, and here's where the, the, the culture gets off track because now we start to have questions about, well, you can't really call out sin. You can't really have these positions because if God is a God of love, then he would accept anyone. And, and how, how would a God of love, if you really love me, you would accept me fully as I am. And how could you call me out? And everybody knows the verse of Matthew chapter 7, right? The, the, where he says, judge not. Right? That's probably the most commonly uh, memorized verse in the Bible. But they, they don't understand the context there. That if you read a few more verses, it actually says, Here, just, just let me teach you how to judge rightly. Because by the time you get to verse 5 of, of Matthew 7, he's actually saying, okay, now that you've handled your own issues, you could see clearly to help your brother who is in sin, but don't do it out of hypocrisy. So here we enter into this tension that our culture has of really comes down to kind of what's the definition of love. Is it loving to be tolerant? Is, it loving, is that the most loving thing? Is, or, or tolerance and, and love, the same, are, they, are they synonymous? And if God is love, then he must be tolerant, and he must not mean those things he said in the Old Testament or those parts of the Bible. You know, not a lot of people preach on 1 Corinthians 5, just being honest, right? It's not a real fun text. But as we said, we, we, we committed to preaching the full counsel of God's word. We say, hey, we're going to preach through 1 Corinthians, and chapter 5 is a part of 1 Corinthians, so here we are. 
Church discipline is what is titled. And, and even that begins to make some people, because we're not familiar with it. Now, a few generations ago, it was really common in churches. Everybody would know what you're talking about, and nobody would be squirming about it. It's just part of, part of life. And I think once we explain it to you today, that, that you'll rest a lot easier too. But we need to understand the impact of this. It, but, but at the same time, we need, to, we need that context because it's Paul coming as a father that he's saying, I'm willing to have these conversations with you. I'm willing to call you out because I love you. And so here, we, we've got to go there because a lot of times what, what Christians are going to want to do is either not make any judgments, right, and be really tolerant of everybody and welcome everybody in, or the other side of that ditch is that we'll come over here and, you know, circle our bandwagons and everybody will, you know, this is the, this is the church and we'll just lob judgment grenades into the culture and how dare they and, and those people and we don't want those people here and, you know, uh, and, and we want to speak against laws. And so it's this, it becomes this religious, uh, honestly, sometimes big like approach where we're just judging people from from a distance and, and that's not neither one of those things neither one full tolerance nor full just like you know um, religious bigotry is what Paul is talking about he's talking about familial fatherly confrontation and love and so I'm just going to let the, the passage speak for itself we're going to read it together and we're going to walk through it and we're going to we're going to try to learn from it and so Here's, here's the, the big idea is that as a church, there should indeed be discipline. And what that means is when there is unrepentant sin, when there's someone who is claiming to be a Christian, they, they say that I am a follower of Christ, I am a member of, of this body, and yet they are living in, in such a way that they, they, they are not surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. It is clear that they are in sin that is ongoing, habitual, and they are not repentant. This is not about the one who stumbles and falls and is crushed and, and repentant and sorry the next day. That is not what this is about. This is about the person who is, who is choosing to continue in sin and yet claiming Christ. And what we're going to see at the end, too, is this is not about the world, the person who's coming in who doesn't know Christ. This is about the person who says that I'm a follower of Jesus and yet I mean, I don't care that I'm in this sin. And Paul says we have to deal with that. And so the particular example is one that we've kind of uh, alluded to a couple times in the introduction of the book because it's a crazy one, right? So let's look here in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Paul says, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. So what Paul's saying is, hey, I'm hearing about this sexual immorality that's in your church, and it's not just like the common stuff where, you know, people are, you know, sleeping together before they're married, and they're doing, he says, this is, there's something so wicked in front of you, in, in, in your own body, that's not even tolerated amongst the pagan. He's saying the culture is looking at you guys and going, man, that's pretty nasty. Like, we're all about freedom, but that's Gross. What's he talking about? Well, it, it, honestly, it is nasty. He says, for a man has his father's wife. And you're like, is that what it, is that, they get the translation? No, that's what it really says. In the Greek, it says he had his father's wife. Um, now, you're like, is that his mom? I don't think so. Or I think Paul would have said that. I think it's his stepmom. Still weird, right? Still not okay. And as Paul's saying, not only is it not okay, it's just downright weird. Like, it's gross. Like, everybody's going to go, eh, like, we got to draw a line somewhere. And I think it was back there. Like, we crossed it. And so Paul's saying, this is happening in, in your own body. And, 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 what, and are they worried about it? Are they, are they meeting together? How do we handle it? How do we love this brother? How do we call it? No, no, what's he say? He says, and you are arrogant, verse 2. You're arrogant about it. He said, ought you not to mourn, rather, 
He says, well, you're arrogant. Why are they arrogant? Well, because they're in this place of, of, of they feel like they have, come to, they have come of age, right? They're in this, this, this world that values new ideas and, and you know, thoughtful, progressive sort of thinking. And that's what, the, they, that's what they celebrate is new, you know, that sort of thing in the, in the culture and sophist. And, and you know, if you read about that, that day and age, that, that like, this is an urban area and new ideas and progressive you know, ideology that, that's, that's popular in this day. And so they have taken it and said, well, well, here's the deal. Like the Bible says, like this whole Christianity thing says that we're forgiven not by how good we are, but by grace. And so, man, it's all about grace and God, you know, forgives sin. And so you can kind of do whatever you want, right? Does that sound familiar? Like God will forgive you. So just do what you want. And so they've sort of shed all sense of traditionalism Right, not just what the Old Testament said, but really even what common decency in the culture. They, they they feel like they've ascended to this place of, you know, coming of age to where they're not worried about this guy who's sleeping with his stepmom. They're boasting about it. You see, that may seem weird, but here's how I think they're boasting. They're saying, "Man, look at us! Look how look how tolerant we are as a church." Look how progressive we are. Look how anybody's welcome here. Right? It, it, gets fly, it gets flown under that sort of flag. Anybody's welcome here. Look, we're so tolerant. Like, we're not going to judge you people. Come, you know, we're about love here. We're about, we're about grace here. So we're not going to make decisions. We're not going to talk about, you know, uh, how God feels about sexuality. And, and, and we're not going to talk about how God feels about hell. And we're not going to talk about those. We're not going to do that. Because we're about love. That's how it gets. So they're boasting about this deal. Whereas, you know, we know, like, hopefully, like, if you read the rest of the New Testament, Paul says over and over and over again, especially, you know, a couple times in Romans, he says, so does this mean because there's grace that we should just keep on sinning so that we can get more and more grace? Paul says, no, no, by no means. You've missed the whole deal. And so Paul is saying, and you're arrogant, church at Corinth. This is going on. It's grievous. The culture's talking about y'all. And you're not even mourning and, and trying to figure out how to love your people. You're boasting. You're arrogant. He says, ought you not rather to mourn? And then he says this, let him who has done this be removed from you. Okay, now, we've got to stop and talk because perhaps you don't know some of the, some of the greater context. Paul is... is uh, you know, working off some assumption that they, they know what Jesus has set in place, particularly in Matthew 18. Um, this is not just here, but, but really what he's, what he's referring to is honestly the last step in what we would call biblical progressive church discipline. So the last step in, in church discipline, when you have loved people and asked them to repent, called, pleaded, to the, pleaded with them to repent, the last step is if they, if they continue to be an unrepentant, then he says, then treat them as, kick them out of the church, basically. Doesn't mean they're not allowed to attend a lot of times. I mean, there may be some times, but basically the church removes their affirmation saying, we can no longer call this person a Christian because they're not acting like a Christian. They're not treating Jesus as Lord. And so Jesus says, treat them as an unbeliever. Lest you not, like, I, I want you to see this from God's word and not just from my mouth. So we'll put it on the screen, but if you want to turn with me to Matthew 18, I, just, I want you to see what exactly Paul is referring to. We're just going to walk through this briefly. And I think once you see this, you're going to see that actually, like, church discipline sounds like this thing that's really 
uh, really formal and really public because that's when we think about it. We think about it when it gets to this end place when we have to remove that person from the church and, and we, we tell the church, you know, and you've seen this happen maybe publicly when pastors have had to be removed and, and those sorts of things. And I, and I know some people have been like, whoa, so if I sin, is y'all going to tell the whole church like what I've done? And, and so there's some misunderstanding about this. But I, but I think you just, just hear the simple words. And what you'll, what you'll see, I believe, is that I mean, this is just family conversations, and that most of the time in stages one and two is where church, it's where it, it doesn't feel like church discipline because we haven't called it that. It's actually just loving one another and speaking truth to one another. And oftentimes, because the Spirit of the Lord dwells in us, we respond in repentance, and it's over and it's done. So let's look through this really uh, fairly briefly together. But I want you to see what Paul is talking about here. Matthew eighteen, verse fifteen through seventeen. And Jesus, this is Jesus' words. He says, "If your brother sins against you," Okay, so if somebody is sinning, particularly against you, then you do what? You go tell your friends about it, see how they feel? What's it say? You go tell your community group about it, go tell, nope, what's it say? Go to him. Go tell him his fault between you and him alone. So if somebody's in sin, you care about them, you go to them. You don't go to 14 other people and see if your opinion's right. You don't. Mask it in prayer request. Right, hey, we need to pray for, we really need to pray for so-and-so. Yep. Yep, I've seen them out late. I've seen their car at Pookie's a lot. Let me pray for them. All right, I'm gonna, I might talk to them, but we need to pray. You know, I heard their wife not talking. You know, it's not what it says. It says go to them. Go to them. Church, this is how we love one another. It's a big, big step. We don't want to gloss over this. It's to talk to them, not about them. If we're going to be a church that loves one another, we're going to be a a people of God that that represent the heart of God. The first thing we have to do is love one another by speaking to one another and not about one another. So go to them. And how do you go to them? Hey, you, you go out of arrogance. You say, cut it out. Like, you imbecile. How could you be so dumb? What were you thinking? No, no, no. You go with a heart of brother. I'm concerned, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm seeing this pattern in you, and, and, and I, want, I want you to know, like, that I care about you. Won't you repent? Like, can we, let me help you. And you know what happens, like, 98% of the time? After maybe some initial resistance, right? Right, some initial, well, who are you, right? I think there's something about a plank and a speck, and, you know, Maybe I'll deal with your plank before you start worried about my speck there, buddy. There's going to be some natural resistance. Anytime you get confronted with sin, there's some natural resistance, and I get that. I've experienced that. You might get defensive at first. But you know what happens to to, to children of God when the the Spirit of God is dwelling in them? Most of the time, when when this happens, when a brother or sister approaches them out of humility and out of love, most of the time they say, you know what, you're right. You're right, and I need help. Would you forgive me? And would you pray for me? And would you walk with me? Would you call me out in the future? Would you check in on me? That's what happens most of the time, right? You've seen this. You've experienced this. Hopefully, this is what happens. And most of the time, it ends right there because he says, if he listens, the end of verse 15, then you've gained your brother. And guess what? That's it. Period. It's over. Doesn't mean, well, it's church discipline. I better go tell the elders, make sure they know. And the next business meeting, get that on the agenda, you know, so that everybody knows that, so-and-so was, was doing this, but, but so-and-so handled it, you know, but go ahead and pray for him. 
You know, these daggum prayer requests, you know, this gossip that's, that's, you know, disguised in prayer requests cannot be something that is true of us. But, but, but it too often is. And, and so we don't do it that way. If he repents, then you've gained your brother and the story is done. Nobody else needs to know. Right? If they want to talk, if they want to tell the community group, that's their deal. Right? If they want to come to the pastors and say, you know what, I actually need some help with this, that's their deal. But it's, it's not on you. If they repent, it's over. You've gained your brother, period. Case closed. Now, what happens if they don't? If they say, you know what? Heck with you. I don't think you're wrong. I don't care. I'll do what I want. And what do we do? Verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Is this to gang up on this person? Is this to beat this person down? No, no, no. In every instance, the heart is to restore that brother or sister. Every word that is spoken needs to be out of gentleness and out of humility. And hey, we're here for you. And we could be wrong, but we're seeing this in you. In the Bi- like, let's look at this together in the Bible. Like, like come back to the fold. We, we see where you're heading and we're concerned about the outcome. So you take one or two with you. So that it's not just my agenda against so-and-so, but hey, like, we see this in you. We're concerned for you. And guess what? If they repent, it's over. It's done. Book is closed. Doesn't continue going up the ladder. Doesn't go on to the elders. It doesn't go on to the public forum. It doesn't go on to Facebook. Right? No, it's over. It says, again, you've gained your brother. That's always the, the hope. Verse 17, if they still refuse to listen. And at this point, there's a hardness of heart here that you've probably seen. At this point, they're probably not coming to church anymore. Maybe they are. But at this point, they're, they're, they've probably really wandered away. If, if, they're in, if they have refused to, to respond in softness and, and repentance at this point, then, then they're, they're generally some serious hardness of heart. But, but he says, verse 17 of Matthew 18, if he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. So what, what that looks like, what, what we would invite you to, that, that would be, if, you, if one of the elders wasn't one of your one or two, then this is where we would say, hey, bring it to the elders. And you say, hey, we try to love this individual, a community group, and they've, they've, they've not listened. We're concerned. We want you to go with us now. And so at this point, the elders would, would say, okay, let's go. And we're not ganging up. We're, we're probably taking the, the el- you know, an elder or, or, or two and, and, the, um, and the initial person. We're not saying, okay, now there's eight of us and you got it. No, no, no. Like out of love, hey, we're concerned about you. And as shepherds, you're, you're wandering into dangerous territory and it's our job to take the crook, right, the shepherd's crook, and say, hey, 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 you need to come, come, come back this way. There's danger over there. Come back this way. Please, please come back this way. And guess what? If they do, praise God, you've gained your brother, and it's over. Still doesn't make the news bulletin. Still doesn't make the church announcements, right? And that's, that's, what, that's always the hardest to restore that brother or sister the end of verse 17 says, if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. And what Jesus is saying is, you, you treat them like they're not a Christian. Does that mean you stop loving them? Nope. What's interesting is we're called to love both Christians and non-Christians, right? Like we're, we're supposed to love people who are outside the church and with the hopes of getting them inside the church, right? In the hopes of getting them into the family of God. And so it's not that we write them off. It's not that we, you know, 
slander them all. No, no, no. We just say, man, it, it, does, it no longer seems that so-and-so is living as a Christian. They may have never been a Christian, so we're going to treat them as such. They're not responding to Jesus as Lord. And so we're going to say, hey, listen, we're not going to let you keep making a mockery of Christ. If you won't repent, then we're going to have to let, and we would only do this with members here. This is a covenant member situation here at The Journey. And, and we don't have a lot of members meeting, and, and we've honestly never done this other than, you know, um, so, some extreme leadership situations. But, but you've probably never seen this executed because, honestly, it, it usually doesn't get to this point. But if they do, then in a members meeting, we have to say, again, not that we air everything, but we say, hey, we've walked with brother so-and-so. We've walked with sister so-and-so. And unfortunately, they aren't surrendering to Jesus as Lord. And so we're going to remove them from our membership role at this time. And we want you to pray for them. We want you to love on them. We want you to invite them. And, you know, to, we, we want you to be a witness to them. But know that they're not, they're not acting as Christians. This is hard. I get it. How dare you? Who do you think you are? Those things will be said. We'll see in a moment why it's important. This is what, what Jesus says. Treat them as a tax collector or a Gentile. And, and what he's saying is you're going to keep loving them, but love them as though they're, they're no longer a Christian because that's how they're acting. So that's what Paul, when he, when he says in, in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 5, let him who has done this be removed from among you. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about progressive church discipline to the last step being excommunicating, saying we no longer allow you, like you're not going to come, like we would, we would not allow that person. They could come to service most often, but we say, hey, don't come to the Lord's table unless you're in repentance. Like don't make a mockery of Christ acting as though you're part of his family if you're, you're not surrendering to him as Lord and Savior. Now again, I've never seen that person try to do that. Most of the time when they get to steps three or four, they're, they're no longer attending church. Right? They're far, that doesn't mean we, keep, we stop pursuing them, but they're no longer here generally. So Paul says, um, but, but here's, why, um, here, here's why we do that. It's not just to, it, it shouldn't be out of this position. We should never boast in that. We should never boast that we had to kick somebody out. We should never be excited about that. We should do that through tears and for their good. Okay, this is the first point, as we're going to see in verse 3 through 5, that, that this is for the good of the sinner. And listen, it may be tolerant of me as a dad to let my kids go out and play on South Market anytime they want. It may be really tolerant of me, but let me, let me be really clear, it is anything but loving. Right? It may be tolerant of me to not call them out whenever they're running with scissors or playing with a firearm. Right? Maybe, maybe tolerant, but it is not loving. And we need to establish the difference in between those two things. So when we do this, it is for the good of the one who is in sin, for the good of the sinner. We'll see it's also for the good of the church and for the good of the world as our witness. But for the first thing, it's for the good of that sinner. So I want you to see verse 3. Paul says, for though absent in the body, I'm present in spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. So Paul's saying, hey, some situations require you, you get together, you hear what's happened, you discern together and, and, and make a judgment. He says, listen, this person is public. This person is um, unrepentant. I don't need, we don't need any meetings about this. Let me just go ahead and tell you, I've made a judgment and it is absolutely wrong. And this person needs to be addressed. Okay, so it says, has this person. 
his mother's wife. It doesn't say had. This is not the one night stand when they come in in repentance and weeping and you know, trying to be restored. This is not that. This is, this is an ongoing relationship that is out of step with how God has laid out um, you know, sex and marriage and all of those lots of issues there. Incest, you know, like just all sorts of mess to untangle there. And, and, and it's, a, it's an active relationship. And so as such, Paul's saying, I've already made that judgment, and it's wrong. So what does he say to do? He says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, this is not a social club. This is not just everybody's opinion. This is not popular vote. Hey, what do you guys think? Is it wrong what so-and-so is doing, or is it right? Oh, everybody said it was wrong. So listen, we kicked you out. And he says, no, no, when you've gathered, this is verse uh, 4, when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for their destruction of the flesh, so that the spirit, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now that sounds harsh. He says, "Turn him over to Satan, so that that joker can be destroyed, but God will save him on the last day." That's a hard verse, but it's loving. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, "You people are valuing each other's feelings." and tolerance and all sorts of things. You're valuing one another's feelings and your own popularity. Peace, you know, I don't want to rock the boat. You're valuing somebody's feelings over their soul. He says, and that is really, really unloving. Paul says, I would rather hurt their feelings, maybe even destroy their life. Their life may become crumbling down, but I would rather do that and see their soul saved than do the opposite. Because how unloving is it to watch somebody live in sin, wreck their life over and over and over again, live in such a way that you know is, is destructive, and, to, and you go, you know what, I, wanna, I don't want to call them out. I, I want to be loving. I don't want to hurt their feelings, so I'm never going to say anything. What he's saying is, it seems like they're not a Christian. And if they're not a Christian, you should tell them how they can become a Christian, because otherwise it's really unloving. Pendulet, who is a magician, performer, and a well-known atheist, he says, listen, if y'all believe, talking to us Christians, he says, if you believe what you say you believe about, you know, Jesus and heaven and hell and all those things, he says, it is the most unloving thing you could do not to proselytize me, meaning not to try to convert me. If we believe what we say we believe about the gospel, then we should be a people who are constantly pleading with people to repent and come to Jesus. So Paul's saying, don't, don't value their feelings over their soul. Value their soul. And if they won't listen to the pleading of God's people to, to repent and the pleading of God's word to repent, then turn them over to Satan. Let them live their life that we know is going to end badly. But maybe, just maybe, through this act of discipline, if they're not a Christian, maybe God will call them. Maybe God will save them. And if they are, then... And then they'll see the fruit of their labor, and God may go ahead and, you know, they may do that until the end of their life, and God may save them on the last day. Like in that moment, they, they, their, their, their life has been made a wreck. I've known some Christians who made a mess of their life on the back half. And, you know, we don't know someone's heart, but, but it seems as though, man, they made a mess of that. I think they're still believers, and I think God, you know, like they're there in heaven, but, man, man they really made a mess on this back half. And that's what he's saying. It's like, man, they may destroy their flesh. But we want to value their soul higher than we do their feelings and their body and even their livelihood. We want to call out sin because it's loving. It's loving for that person. If we love them, then we will call them out. 
we will call them to repentance. We will do it out of love. We'll do it out of humility, but we will do it. And there's more. it's not just for the good of that person. It's also for the good of the church. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. You can't be proud of this, he says. It's not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, this is not super familiar language to us because we don't, you know, make our own bread oftentimes, but, but this would be familiar to them that they would have, you know, uh, some dough laying around, and whenever they were ready to eat that, they would, they would take in a little leaven, and then they would save part of that for next week's lunch, you know, and so they'd take a little bit of the leavened uh, lump, and they put it in them with the new one, knead that together, and that leaven would spread in and make that, that dough rise, make it softer, make it taste better, and, and that's sort of what we're familiar with. And he says, listen, sometimes that's used in a positive illustration. Here, it's in a negative. He's saying, when, when you allow that to happen in your church, it's not just affecting that person. You're not just letting them go to their destruction. You're going to destroy the whole church. And here's what he means is if we don't call that out, if we let that person continue to live in sin, continue to give God the finger and act like it's okay, and we, we just say, well, you know, we, we love them. We want to let them do their own life. It's two consenting adults. Then what are they hurting? You know, if we take that posture, then guess what? Other people are going to start to notice that. And guess what? Those kids, that third of our church that just went back to that other wing, they're going to start to notice that. Oh, well, that's okay. So-and-so does it at church. So-and-so lives that way. And it begins to spread. That's like a cancer. It begins in one place in the body. It begins to metastasize, and it begins to spread. So Paul says, cleanse out the, the leaven that you may be a new lump. So he's saying it matters. If we look back to the, the Kingdom Come series and really a lot of what we've looked at in the last year is that God has, has, has been about making for himself a people, a people that would be separate from the rest of the world, not to look back at the world and say, look at, you know, you people. That, no, 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 but a people who are, who are called out from among them to live in such a way that, that the world sees, oh, that's how life is supposed to work. They, they have a God who loves them, who has set before them a path of living that actually leads them to flourish. But here's what happens. When we don't practice this sort of loving discipline, then we get hypocrisy, and we get people saying, well, I don't want anything to do with Christianity because every Christ, you know, I just know a bunch of churches are full of hypocrites. And honestly, a lot of times, they're not wrong. Pastor Mark Dever says, you got to choose either hypocrisy or discipline. You can't have neither as a church. He says, you got to choose either hypocrisy or discipline. You can't have neither. He said, you can possibly have both, but that's sort of another thing. But if, if you choose not to have discipline, you can almost guarantee that there will be hypocrisy. There will be this dueling lifestyles where we say we follow Jesus, we submit to his word, but then we're not really living that out. So he's saying, for the sake of the church, for the health of the church, the purity of the church, remove that member. Remove that person who is unrepentant and sin. Get that, that, that part of the dough out that is... That is on its way to destroying the rest of it, take it out so you can have a new lump. A lump. Again, this is not saying that, you know, only perfect people can be here. We start every daggum service that we're flawed and imperfect people, right? This is not what we're saying. We're all struggling toward perfection. We're all struggling toward being made like Christ. But it, it's the difference between the person who is repentant of their sin, the person who's soft-hearted and knows they've stumbled, and they're fighting that sin, they're killing that sin, they're weeping over that sin. That's how all of us should, should live our life. The whole of life, as Martin Luther said, is one of repentance. Like the whole of the Christian life is one of repentance. We continue to repent. We continue to move toward it. And it's the person who says, I don't need to repent. I'll do what I want. There's grace. God will forgive me. I'll do what I want. That's the person Paul says, that's a bad, bad deal. And you need to deal with that person for their good and for the good of the church. 
Cleanse out the old lump that you may have, a, or the old leaven that you may have a new lump, as you, uh, as you really are unleavened. As the body of Christ, we really are. We have been made clean. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And here's what, he, what, he, what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, our, our Passover lamb, our our, like he has been sacrificed. And what that means is our God has made a ruling on whether or not sin is right and what is sin and what is not. And, and nothing says that louder than the cross of Jesus Christ. It is an absolute mockery and an intellectually dishonest move to say that, that because God is a God of love, he would tolerate anybody and welcome anybody and any sin and anything in. And he's not really worried about judging and, and, and telling people how they need to live. No, no, no. The, the cross says so much differently, Right? Because if that were true, the cross wouldn't be necessary. God would just say, ah, sin's not really a big deal. I love you all. Do what you want, and we'll see you in heaven. The cross says sin matters so much. Sin is so grievous and so costly that Jesus Christ had to leave his throne. The only truly unleavened bread, the only one without any sin, had to give his life on the cross. That is a brutal death where his body was broken and his blood was spilled. Because love is not tolerance. Love says God showed his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. But it cost him his life. So how dare we say that tolerance is equal to love? I didn't tolerate sin. He loved the sinner and he came to save us. But when he saved us, he's made us into a new lump. He's made us into a new body. And we are to be a body that, that fights against sin, that lives God's way, doesn't apologize for that. And we love one another toward Jesus. We don't tolerate. He's saying, don't come in here and celebrate living life the way you always did, but I get to go to church and I don't worry about heaven. That's the old leaven. That's the old way of life. Not caring about how you live, not caring about what you do. Don't, we're not celebrating. Like, we come each week and we celebrate the Passover lamb. That's what we just did at this table. We're celebrating the Passover that Jesus gave his life so that ours could be spared. That's the Passover in a nutshell, that Jesus on the cross died so that we didn't have to. He died our death. He lived our, the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have died, and he rose the, with the resurrection and victory that only he could give, and he makes that exchange. He takes our sin, gives us his righteousness, and there's nothing that compares to that. Because of that, he's made us a new lump. He's, he's, and so we, we live as a family. We love one another, and we love one another toward God's way of living. Okay, so it's for the good of the church, but it's also for the good of the world. The last part here. I wrote to you in my letter, verse 9, not to associate with sexually immoral people. So we said earlier, this is, not, this is called 1 Corinthians, but it's a little deceiving because it's not the first letter that Paul wrote. Uh, this is one of a few references we see that he had written them earlier. And again, this is a messy church. I think he probably was, we, we don't have that one in the Bible. My subjective opinion is Paul was uh, more inspired by his own anger and frustration than he was the Spirit. So the Lord said, we're going to leave that one out. But he had already corrected some of these things. And, and one of the things he said is, don't, don't, don't associate with sexual and moral people. But what he's saying is, not at all, this is important, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters. Since then, what? You would need to go out of the world. Now, here's what Christians like to do. We like to be really tolerant of those inside the church, and we like to cast judgment on those outside the church, don't we? 
That's, what we, that's what's most comfortable to us. We don't want to call our friends out. We don't want to call one another to repentance because that's, that's difficult. But, man, we'll talk about how the world and they are messing everything up. Right? We don't want to be around them. We don't want to catch their sin. Right? We want to talk about homosexuals. We want to talk about you know, people committing abortion. We want to talk about them. We don't want them around us. We have this them versus us. Paul's saying, listen, when I said don't associate with the sexual immoral, I wasn't talking about the people outside the church in the world. Because if, if, if he tells us that, Paul says, guess what? you got to leave the world. Because it's all kinds of a mess out there. Right? All kinds of sexual immorality. You, you can't get away from that. What's he say? No, no, I'm talking about the people inside the church. Verse 11, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not to even eat with such a one. Now, it's important. Paul knows that we're tempted to pick out the sins that we don't like, right, that we're, that we're least comfortable with, and we're, we're, we'll coddle the ones that, you know, they're not that big a deal. Right? That's what we do, right? We want to talk about sexuality. We want to talk about these things, these list of sins that we're not comfortable with and call them out. And Paul's saying, listen, don't isolate any particular sin. I was talking about sexual immorality, but that just goes of anybody who's in an unrepentant sin. So he says, if, if somebody's a brother or a sister, they're claiming to be one of Jesus' people, but they won't live the way Jesus has told them to live, and they're not in repentance. They're just hard-hearted, keep doing their thing. Then, then don't associate with them. Don't let them keep... Being a part of the church, you've got you to call them out. You've got to separate yourself from them. But he says it's not just about sexual immorality. It's not just about alternative lifestyles in that way. He said the same should be true. We should be just as concerned about somebody's sexuality. Um, you know, we should be concerned about that, but we should be just as concerned about all the other sins, right? We should treat, you know, the issues of homosexuality and, and um, gender, you know, changes and all of those things with the same level of concern we should treat them and there's the same love of concern as these other things. So he says, but the same is true of somebody with, with greed. But he's greedy. We're, we're not that bothered by greed generally, right? Paul says, you should call them out too. You should be worried about them too. Right? Or somebody who's an idolater, somebody who's putting their identity in something other than Jesus, right? Somebody who's working so much because they want to, you know, get mo- like they're, they're worshiping money and not God. We should be just as concerned about those people. As we are the, you know, the ones that are, the, our list of sins that are big and bad. Or a drunkard, or a reviler. Like, are we as concerned about somebody who's living those sorts of sins as we are, you know, our list? Drunkard or a swindler. He says, don't even eat with some, like, don't let them just keep coming to the table, especially God's communion table, without calling them out, without saying, hey, we don't endorse this sort of blasphemous lifestyle. You can repent and come to Jesus anytime you want, but if you're going to continue to live in sin and not repent, we ask you stop defiling his table. Paul says, for what, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you were to judge? Now listen, and that's a big deal. What a lot of you have heard, well, we're not supposed to judge, are we? And this has is, this is polluted a lot of church life because we've not been embracing our role as, as brothers and sisters in Christ to call one another to repentance. Paul says, I'm not talking about, God's already judged those out in the world. it's, it's, It's an easy judgment. Everybody apart from Jesus is damned and doomed on their way to hell. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not just those with different sexuality issues than ours. Not just those who are drunk. Not just those who are different, you know, political parties. No, no, no. 
Everybody has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. That judgment has been made. And without Jesus, they're on their way to hell. Paul says, that judgment has been made. I don't need to worry about that. I'm not going to go out there and police morality amongst the world and say, well, you need to do this this way. No, no. He's saying, inside the church, we're the people of God. God has laid before us a way to live. Yes, there is where we judge one another. There is where we inspect fruit. There is where we call one another to repentance. God judges those outside. He says, purge the evil person from among you. So take that person who's in unrepentant sin and, and treat them as though they're back outside of the church. And that means you keep witnessing to them. You keep calling them to repentance. You keep pointing them to Jesus, but you don't endorse their rebellion to him. I, I, I'm very aware that these are hard words. Um, I don't know who said it, but I think it's helpful. Um, that hard words produce soft hearts. But soft words produce hard hearts. And we don't want to produce hard hearts. We don't want to tolerate in the name of love or whatever it may be. But we also don't want to become the bigots. And the way we call things out is not through protests and, and, and signs of, you know, like, no, no, we want to do things relationally. We do things engaged with one another, loving one another, calling one another to repentance as a brother or sister. The way that's laid out in Matthew 18. We have to have the guts to do that. And if they refuse to repent, then we have to have the guts to say, hey, church, like as a church, we can't affirm your, 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 your Christianity because you're not acting as though Jesus is Lord. Those are hard words, I get it. My hope is that you see, my hope is it's just it's, it's God's word, not mine. And my, my job is just to unpack that. And so if there are questions about that, if there's not clarity, any confusion, I, I don't want you to leave here going, oh, that, I've never come back to that place. I would rather you engage me. I'd rather you engage us as elders. We want, we want to walk with you, talk with you, make sure it's, it's very clear what we're talking about here. We're not just saying, oh, so-and-so's in sin. We're going to make sure everybody knows that. No, no, it should always be. Matthew 18 gives us very clear Guidelines of how to love one another when we're in sin. And Paul makes it really clear that it's our, we're obligated to do it as a church. So may we lean in to what God has called us to do in the hopes that we don't ever have to experience that level of discipline. I don't ever want to have that meeting. But I also don't want to see sheep wander off into danger, wander off into, into death. God says, I mean, we got to care for one another that way. We are our brother's keeper. We do look out for one another. And we should watch each other's back, Hebrews says, so that we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We should live in community because of that. We should submit to God's discipline. Hebrews also says that God disciplines those he loves that if he didn't lo- if he didn't discipline us, man, we would we would not really. We've all been, a, man. We've all seen this, right? We've seen the people who don't want to discipline their kid, right? They want to let their kid be their own person, and generally, you don't want to be around that kid, right? Why? Because they're, because they're really loving and they're letting that. No, no, no. The kid needs discipline. It's part of being loved. God treats us the same. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for your word that it's not mine, and I uh, just pray that. The power rests there and 
that we respond accordingly. So help us to be soft-hearted people. Help us to be a people who represent you well inside the church to one another, outside the church. Father, we, we, are, we are very often hypocrites, and the world is right to say that. May we be a people who embrace our failure, point to you, and try to live out re- repentance and, and, and humility to the people that we're around. Help us, Jesus. We need it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.